throughout the book of 1 John, the Apostle John has repeatedly attempted to show both who Christians truly are and how Christians truly act. Listen to this brief survey first of who Christians truly are or what synonymously in 1 John defines what a Christian is and then secondly how Christians truly act. Follow in your Bibles, if you will, to these passages as I share them with you because it shows who Christians truly are. 1 John 1, 7. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. That's what describes a Christian. The latter part of verse 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 12 the latter part. Your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. The first part of verse 13, you know Him who is from the beginning. The last line of verse 13, you know the Father. Verse 14, the first part, you know Him who is from the beginning. The latter part of verse 14, the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 20, you've been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you, verse 21, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. Verse 27, the anointing that you have received from Him abides in you. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The latter part of verse 23, we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. The latter part of verse 24, by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Chapter 4, verse 2, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The first part of verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. The latter part of verse 7, who, he who has been born of God and knows God 
latter part of verse 9. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The latter part of verse 10. God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The latter part of verse 12. God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Verse 13. We know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. Verse 9 of chapter 5 If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. Verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That describes what a Christian is. Who are you, Christian? All of those things. John wonderfully and succinctly, in black and white terms, tells us who Christians truly are. But he doesn't stop there. He also tells us what Christians truly do, how Christians are truly to act. Look back at 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light. Light walkers, light abiders. Verse 9, if we confess our sins. Chapter 2, verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Look at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father 
but is from the world. Children, verse 18, it is the last hour, and you've heard that Antichrist is coming. Even so, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Verse 22, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Look at chapter 4, verse 1, the first part. Do not believe every spirit. Verse 7, let us love one another. Verse 11, we also ought to love one another. Verse 19, we love. Verse 21, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Look at 1 John five fourteen, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Verse 21, keep yourselves from idols. I've just read for you in a few brief moments what John describes as the essence of Christianity, both being and doing. It's all right here. And of course, there is much more to say in our Bibles than what John does here in 1 John. But if you followed along with me in that reading, you saw described for yourself what God says is the essence of Christianity, both being and doing. And I don't think there's a greater summary passage of all of those passages all put together than 1 John 5, 1 to 5. Look at it with me. 1 John 5, 1 to 5. In one passage that we could call the cream of the crop, the icing on the cake, the ultimate in 1 John of what John describes both being and doing for the Christian, it's 1 John 5, 1 to 5. Follow along as I read. Everyone, 1 John 5, 1, who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ? Four very simple declarations, definitions, descriptions, realities that sums up everything John would want to say in 1 John. Here they are. Truly regenerate people believe. Secondly, truly loving people care. Thirdly, 
truly obedient people behave. And fourth, truly victorious people overcome. Very simple, yet very profound. This forms for us, 1 John 5, 1 to 5, the sum and the substance of who and what makes up the Christian. If you want to know what the essence of Christianity truly is, this is it. This is it. This would be a great passage to show someone evangelistically, to share with them the gospel from 1 John 5, 1 to 5, because here it is in succinct form, and it tells us exactly who Christians are and what they do. Let's look closer at these definitions of what it means to be and to do as Christians. Number one, truly regenerate people believe. Notice the first part of verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. As I said, very simple, very straightforward. Does John say that truly regenerate people believe? In other words, it's like this. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, the only Savior of the world, you give genuine evidence that you, my friends, have been born of God. And what I think this verse says to us, at least to me, is this. Regeneration, which is that doctrinal theological word, it's the same concept as the word or phrase born again, regeneration is the cause of everyone who would ever believe. That's what he's saying. It is the root of anyone's belief that Jesus is God's only answer for the salvation from this wicked world. That's what he's saying. Some would say from this verse and other passages like it that regeneration by God precedes faith that is expressed by the believer. And I think there is at least to some degree some level of warrant to this because the perfect tense of this phrase has been born of God. Do you see it there? Has been born of God combined with that present tense of the verb believes continuously present tense would allow us to maybe look at the verse paraphrase it like this. Everyone who has begun and who continuously believes that Jesus is the Messiah has therefore shown himself to have been born of God. That's not a bad paraphrase of that verse. And if not exegetically, then certainly theologically and most definitely logically, God's creating of faith in someone in order to believe the truth about Jesus is prior to the person believing it. This is because God's initiative to enlighten occurs prior to the faith that believes. Or, someone's not completely comfortable with that, it might be something like this. At the precise moment, without any lapse of time whatsoever, that God's Spirit 
causes or creates faith in a person at that very instant and forever after that, the person believes that Jesus is God's Son, the only Savior of the world. It happens instantaneously, just like that. Now, some of this is a mystery. The profound mystery of regeneration. It's not against the will of the person. It's not doing some kind of uh, foreign idea to the will of the person. But at the very moment that the will of a person believes in Jesus as God's Son, it is because God has acted upon that person's will to open their eyes through His regenerating grace and causes them at the root of it all to believe in Jesus Christ. And that's to the praise of the glory of His grace. Because apart from that regenerating grace of God, none of us would believe. This passage wouldn't even make sense. In other words, regeneration and faith occur in such a way that they cannot be separated by time and instance. And logically, of course, the regeneration must come first or else the faith is not created. But once... And immediately so, once God causes a person to be born again, to be regenerate, they are therefore instantly inclined to believe and to believe forever that Jesus is the only Savior of sinners and that He is their own Savior. And we go back to our outline point. Only truly regenerate people believe. If you've believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord, it is based upon God's mercy and His initiative which caused you to believe in the first place. And if you believe savingly in the message of the gospel, it's only because God's Spirit wooed you to believe the very message of that gospel and you were therefore converted. And we could say it on the other hand. Unregenerate people don't believe. They don't believe. You say, well, they're not responsible then because God's Spirit hasn't wooed them to believe. No, the Bible teaches that they are responsible, they are very responsible, they are wholly responsible, and they are ultimately responsible. You say, I don't understand that. Well, it takes a bigger brain than yours and mine, I can assure you. But it is true. There's no violence to the will when someone comes to faith in Christ. No violence at all. I believed because I wanted to believe, but I wanted to believe because God wanted me to believe. And when I wanted to believe and God wanted me to believe, I believed and I believe forever. And God is glorified because He caused me to believe in Jesus, His Son. And if someone doesn't believe, God's regenerating grace is not operative in their life, but they are ultimately and forever responsible for rejecting the message of the gospel, and that's the way it is and God is glorified in both. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that it is something that is a life unto life, the regenerate, and something that is death unto death, the unregenerate, and God is glorified in both. And I love the way John uses this kind of perfect tense in order to show the relationship between regeneration and faith in 1 John. Look at 1 John 2.29. Notice these Perfect tense ideas here. 1 John 2.29 If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness 
has been born of him. The very reason you practice righteousness is because you've been born of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Same phrase. Look at chapter 7 of verse 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 5, 1, our own text. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Of God. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. You say, well, how do you preach that? Here it is. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Not, do you believe that you've been regenerated by the Spirit of God? Now, that's not yours to ponder. That's in the secret counsels of God. That's what He does. What you do is you are asked, you are commanded to believe, you are challenged to believe, and I challenge you today. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? If you do, praise God, that means you've been regenerated from above. You see how it works? God brings regeneration. He begets life. And you and I, as New lives respond ever and always to the call of God. Do you believe in Jesus? According to 1 John 1, 3, Jesus is God's Son. According to 1 John 1, 7, it is Jesus' death by blood sacrifice which cleanses sinners. In 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is said to be the righteous one, our advocate, the propitiation for our sins, God's payment which satisfies His divine wrath against us. 1 John 3, 8 says that Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. We believe according to 1 John 4, 2 that Jesus has come in the flesh, incarnated in the person of the man, Christ Jesus, so that we might live through Him, 1 John 4, 9. And according to 1 John 4, 14, God sent Him to be the Savior of the world. Do you believe that? If you believe that, it is only because of the mercy of God that He caused you to believe that in the first place. If we can't determine exegetically, theologically, or logically which came first, the regenerate chicken or the believing egg, doesn't really matter. Ultimately doesn't matter. Because we know this, if I believe, God is to be glorified because He caused me to believe. Truly regenerate people believe. Secondly, truly loving people care. Look at the latter part of verse 1. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Oh, and I love this. Immediately after John speaks of truly regenerate people believing, he says the fruit of that faith is love. You see, it's not just being all caught up in my creed. It's not just being all caught up in my confession of faith. It's, it's all bound up in my creed which leads me in my confession of Christ to love others. It's the fruit of the faith that God has given me by His glory and by His own initiative. Truly loving people genuinely care about other believers. Why? Because you've been born again. 
Because God Himself, the one who begat you, your heavenly Father, caused you because of His love for you to be regenerated by Him. And like that first outline point, John just summarizes what he's been saying all along about love. If you've been born of God, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, it will cause you, as the fruit of that faith, to love others that God has also begotten. Yes. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. You, you, you love God. You love Christ. It's because God has regenerated your heart to believe in Christ, to love Christ, and you love everyone whom Christ loves and for whom He died. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 14, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And by this we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, John says, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Let us love one another. Let us love one another. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Truly loving people care. It's the essence of the doing of Christianity. Are you one of those truly loving people who genuinely care about your brothers and sisters in Christ? It's the chief fruit of faith. It's the chief fruit of faith. It's what the Apostle Paul said, but the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest of these is love. Does it mark your regeneration that you love others whom God loves and for whom Christ died? Do a spiritual inventory of your heart right now. Ask yourself this question, do I love others? Do I believe I've been genuinely redeemed by Christ? Because if you, if you can say yes to that, if you can have the assurance of that, it is because the very evidence of God at work in your life is showing you that the fruit of your faith in Christ is to love whom Christ loves. There's a third one here. Look at verses 2 and 3. Truly obedient people behave. Notice verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. 
For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Truly obedient people behave. And how do they behave? The first thing they do to behave is to know of their love for the children of God based upon their love for God and the keeping or the doing of His commandments. John declares right here that it is impossible to say that you love God while at the same time not loving your brothers and sisters. In fact, he almost sort of reverses it and he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Usually it's something like this. We know that we are lovers of God when we love the children of God. Now he's saying we know we love the children of God because we love God. You see, they're interchangeable. They, they, they can't be denied two sides of the same coin. And this is all natural now for us. Why? Because we've been born again. We've been born from above. We've been regenerated. We've been given new, fresh, spiritual life. We're, we're not just thinking about ourselves anymore. We're not just on some kind of selfish pursuit of all of our own pleasures and desires. That's what unregenerate people do. That's where they live. That's the sphere in which they operate. But not truly obedient people. They behave. And how do they behave? They love the children of God. Why? Well, because we love God. And, and we love to keep His commandments. And His commandments are to love the brethren. And we do so. Each of these passages that I've just read about love should for us reveal the true desires of our hearts because it should reflect our desire whether or not we love God, whether or not we want to keep the commands of God, especially love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And when your heart is, is truly responding like that, when that's, when that's really the, the essence of how you're living, guess what? God's commands are not burdensome. They're not. You want to obey them. You want to live them out. You, you know you don't do it perfectly, and when you don't, it grieves you. But when you see the commands of God for what they truly are, a representative rule and regulation, a summary of the commands that make up the perfect character of God Himself, you want to say, I want to do this because it represents who you are. It represents who you are to the world. It represents who you are to even the church. And I want to do that. These are, these are commands which are not burdensome to me. They're not irksome. These are not onerous levels of obedience. Not at all. We, we want to obey them. You see, the unregenerate, uh, they want to kick against it. They want to, they want to deny them. Uh, they want to redefine them. But the truly regenerate person, he believes in Jesus. And, and the truly loving person, he cares. And the truly obedient person, he behaves. And how he behaves is to see the commands of God as not a burdensome thing at all. Notice this, notice this. I want you to go back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I want you to see how, how much the Bible speaks about how these commands of God are not to be perceived by us as burdensome. You may be saying as a Christian, wow, boy, 
That, that sounds like some zenith level of spirituality that I can't attain to if you're talking about the commands of God not being burdensome because I find them very burdensome. Listen, listen to, to Scripture. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Listen to what Moses says to them. It's a very key text in this, this idea of Moses leading the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment that he's just revealed that I command you today is not what? It's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not beyond your grasp. You can do this. God will help you. It's what you can do. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 119? Notice what he says about the commands of God. Psalm 119, verse 14. This is great. Psalm 119, verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. That's a commitment, my friend. That's a commitment to see the commands of God as not burdensome at all, but as a delight. Look at verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Look at verse 24. Your, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands, verse 48, toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 54, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Look at the latter part of verse 70, I delight in your law. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. On and on it goes. His commands are not burdensome. Not for the truly regenerate who believe. Not for the truly loving who care. And not for the truly obedient who behave. Not at all. In, in fact, Jesus even pinpointed in the battles of his own day with the scribes and the Pharisees who put themselves burdens on people that were too great to bear. Matthew chapter 23, verse 2, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And then listen to this, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now, contrast that with what Jesus said about himself in Matthew 11:30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. Don't don't try to don't try to follow the the scribes and the Pharisees, they lay burdens on people that they couldn't possibly bear. But follow me, Jesus says, for my burden is easy and my yoke is, is light. Don't you remember even in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. It's all about pleasing Him. He wouldn't give us commands to obey that are so burdensome that we couldn't please Him in the doing of those commands? He wouldn't do that. 
Chapter 4, verse 18 says it well. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you find God's commands to be burdensome? Well, it may be because you're not a Christian at all. Do you find this yoke around your neck, this mastery of biblical commands or expected regulations or multiple attitudes which you're expected to obey, do you find them burdensome? Hard to obey, hard to follow, and then you tend to reject them because they are so irksome to you? Well, it may be because you do find the commands burdensome because you haven't really yoked yourself to Christ whose burden is easy and whose yoke is light. You see, because truly obedient people behave and they behave because they want to behave and they behave because it doesn't bring any added burden on them at all. It's because they don't want to burden the one who died for them. They will follow all of His commands with all of their heart. And even when they disobey, they're grieved by that disobedience and they're eager and ready to obey once again. You see, truly regenerate people believe. Truly loving people care. Truly obedient people behave. And finally, truly victorious people overcome. Look at verses 4 and 5. For everyone, everyone, he who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to say just after having said that His commandments are not burdensome? Isn't that a wonderful promise? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice now, three times in the two verses, verses 4 and 5, John speaks of those who have overcome the world. You remember, he's already talked about the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pride in possessions, boastful pride. He's already talked about all the allurements of the world. And if you add there even the indwelling sin in the life of believers, because even though we are regenerate, we haven't eradicated sin completely and totally. We know that. And yet even with all the allurements of the world, even with indwelling sin, John nevertheless describes three realities that is true of every Christian. Here it is. One, truly victorious people overcome the world because of their new birth. That's right. And secondly, truly victorious people overcome the world through or with their faith. And thirdly, truly victorious people overcome the world by their common confession. Look at it with me. Look at the first description that he says. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Oh, I love that it says, present tense, overcomes. Truly victorious people continually overcome the world because they've been born again. And he goes right back to what he said in verse 1. They've been born of God. That's why, that's how they are able to continually overcome the world. And what he's saying is this. You would not be an overcomer of the world if you had not been brought fresh, new, spiritual life by God. That's how important it is to have a God-centered view of your Christian life. A God-centered view. 
all the way from the beginning through the middle to the end. God has regenerated me. That's where it all starts in my own experience. And he's brought me to fresh, new spiritual life. And it's only by that that he has allowed me to be one of those who is said to be an overcomer of the world. I continuously overcome the world. You don't believe in Christ. You're not an overcomer. Synonymous terms. That means overcomer, that you're a Christian and that you overcome because of your regeneration. God's doing. Listen to John Stott wonderfully sum this up. He says, The new birth is a supernatural event which takes us out of the sphere of the world where Satan rules into the family of God. We have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son. The spell of the old life has been broken. The fascination of the world has lost its appeal. Ask yourself the question this morning. Has the fascination of the world lost its appeal in you? Oh, that's a good question. And the implications of that are eternal. If you are saying to yourself, the fascination of the world has not lost its appeal in my life, I, I admit that. Well, then work back to the beginning. You haven't been born again by God. You haven't been given fresh spiritual life. Because if you've been born into this world in the life of Adam, which is a sinful life, a life where you are a slave to sin, then the fascination of the world still has its appeal for you and you've not been born again and so you love the world and you have in your heart the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the prideful possessions that seek in your heart dominance and they have it. The Lord Jesus is not the king of your heart. The world is the king of your heart. And Satan, who is the god of this world, is your master. But everyone, everyone, what does it say? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You may have come this morning and you may have thought to yourself, maybe not in these specific terms, I want to overcome the world. I want to see the world's dominance. I want to see the, the fascination of this world and its appeal gone out of my life, at least in terms of its dominating influence, of its mastery. I want it, and I want it desperately. You can. You can by being called an overcomer. Well, how do I overcome? Recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and repent and believe in Him and Him alone for your salvation, for you, your eternal destiny, and for your love of Christ as over against your love for the world, the fascination of its appeal. It's lost in you. You say, I, I want that. Well, how do I get that? Well, listen so carefully to John chapter 1. This is what we've been talking about all along this morning. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive Him, receive Christ, who believed in His name, believed in the name of Christ, He, God, gave the right to become children of God who were born, here it is, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See that? You're not born into this by blood. 
You're not born into this by the flesh, by your own doing. You're not born into this by the will of a man. You are born into the kingdom of God by the will of God. Do you see it? It's the will of God. That's what allows us to say, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. And notice what he says at the end of verse 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. There it is. Our faith, our confidence, not in ourselves, not our faith in our faith, our confidence, our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ to save us from this wicked world. And notice the victory that has overcome the world. Eris participle. Mark that down. It's a stated reality. It has happened has overcome the world. Your faith, your belief in Christ, your trust in Christ. Throughout 1 John, 1 John 2, 13, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 16, chapter 5, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 13. Believe, believe, believe. You have believed. Believe, believe, believe. Our faith has overcome the world. That's the victory. Now, do you assume that faith is a fairly important, critical, critical? How else could John say something like this? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, dash, even our faith. Faith in Christ. You're not going to have victory over the world unless you have faith in Christ. You're not going to have victory over the world progressively unless you have an increasing faith in Christ's ability to deliver you from all of the encroachments of this world. You won't. And then there's a third and last. Look at it in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Here it is. I think this is what John has been driving toward all along. Here's the victory that has overcome the world. It's our faith, and it's our faith in Jesus as the Son of God as over against the heretics with which He was contending who denied the deity of Jesus Christ at least to some degree and denied the humanity of Christ at least to some degree and He's fighting against them and He's arguing against them and He's polemical against them and He's continually telling His dear beloved readers and this is that victory. There is no victory except the one who believes that Jesus is is the Son of God, the God-man. It's that critical to believe. If you don't believe that, you won't overcome the world. You believe that, you overcome the world. What an incredible thought. To overcome the allurements, the wickedness, the chicanery of this world. Can you, can you imagine anything greater any concept that's greater than the sin which seems to hang on to us and will not let go. Can we be delivered from such? Who is it except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? As we close, listen to what John Stott says. This is an excellent summary of this passage. Christian believers are God's children born from above. God's children are loved by all who love God. Those who love God also keep His commands. 
They keep His commands because they overcome the world. And they overcome the world because they are Christian believers born from above. What is plain is that John's tests belong together and cannot be separated. The true Christian born from above believes in the Son of God, loves God, and the children of God, and keeps the commands of God. Each involves the others. Belief, love, and obedience are the marks of the new birth. Do you possess the new birth? Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we are, we are powerfully impacted by the Spirit of God who takes the Word of God and causes divine life in the soul. And I pray that divine life has been created even this day in the souls of those who are not presently overcomers and who don't know that victory. Truly victorious people overcome. And I pray that that would be the possession of every single person here. To believe in Jesus Christ. To forsake all others, trusting only in Him. Believing that He is the one who alone grants eternal life. Oh Lord, bring life out of dead souls today. And bring enlivened souls to a level of praise that even our overcoming the world is at hand. We pray for your glory and for Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name, amen.